This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just don't go set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. We are coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Spring practice is here. As we sit here and record this podcast, practice number one already in the books, and we will talk about uh, everything going on with the Longhorns this spring, injury updates, who's where, which at this point, one practice, jersey tops and shorts is pretty much all you can take away from practice. Nevertheless, we are here to talk about it. Before we get any further, uh, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for uh, enjoying this presentation, this podcast. Uh, Longhorn Blitz has been going strong for a decade now, so we do very much appreciate your support. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7, click that follow button to get every episode of the Blitz when it drops Tuesday afternoons. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Now let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Punchy would probably be the best way to Punchy. describe I like how it. I feel right now. Uh, got stuck an extra day in Milwaukee after covering uh, men's hoops, their season coming to an end. Uh, hopped on that, uh, got that 6 a.m. flight out of Milwaukee this morning, which, you know what that means. It's really weird. So, you, you know, you want to be there early, as early as possible. So you're waking up about 3, 3.15. And you know that those couple hours of sleep that you're going to get? It's not good sleep because you feel like you're oh, constantly, no. you don't want to miss the alarm. So, yep. yeah, punchy would be the best way to describe it. Loopy. Uh, now I'm feeling a little loopy, a little mossy. Yep. Uh, a man who, he fights through all that because he's a renaissance man. He's just that damn good at what he does. No sleep, no food, no water. <laughs> doesn't bother him. He still brings the goods. But for the purposes of this show, he is our lockdown corner on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Strahd Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. It's a great intro, even though you're feeling, say, punchy? punchy. punchy. I like punchy. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> a little punchy. Yeah. A little punchy. Uh, sorry, I didn't make you, to, make you have to sound like a contestant on Survivor, Rod, like the no food, no water, no sleep. No, thing, man. But- nah, I watched a lot of Naked and Afraid. 
So uh, you, you're a uh, goal you, is to try to be one day. One of the last of the generation where there were no water practices. Yeah, very at times. rarely do you see black people go naked and afraid. I think I've seen two <laughs> in the history of the show. I've been watching it. And I'm watching it for for like five, six years. So I'm say this: not we, a lot of uh, brothers going there, but maybe one day I could be one of those brothers. I'd be like the white cornerback, <laughs> we, the brother that goes on naked and afraid. We have our favorite shows. We all have our favorite shows. Dare I say, Rod, you are a P1 of Naked and Afraid. I always hear you talked about Oh, do I love Naked, Naked and Afraid. Afraid. Fantastic. Rod really good. Quality television, Naked and Afraid. <laughs> so we'll add that yeah. to the intro. should have given it a shot a long oh, time man. I never yeah, gave I mean, it a shot. It, it, yeah, you talk about reality TV and all the random ideas they throw at reality TV, even like, you know, The Bachelor and, you know, uh, the, the how, how to marry a millionaire, all these stupid, uh, crazy ideas. And some yep. of them stick and they're cool. But Naked and Afraid, I got to tell you, it is that is prime. I got that is reality TV gold. That was one of the things that made me start to feel old when I was like, ah, I'm not big for this reality TV stuff. And that was yeah. like 15 years oh. ago. Yeah, it, no, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> it's a horrible trust. It is trash TV, but the best trash TV might be Naked and Afraid. I mean, it's still going pretty strong. I'll add that to the intro. Uh, all, yeah. a naked and Afraid P1 is yeah. Rod Babers. I mean, uh, something we're all a P1 <laughs> of, a fan of, can't get enough of. It's Longhorn football. That's what we're right. here to talk about, gentlemen. Spring practice is underway. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to talk? You want to start with the injuries, or just kind of who's lining up where? Where Where do you want to go, Rod? Hmm. Matt, where lining you up go? where will help us talk about injuries too. So there you go. Oh, uh, boom! I like that. That's why I matched the man. Let's go ahead. Uh, okay, Matt. Since you want to go there, let's go ahead and start it up. I said the offensive line combination. There were some fans on a flagship message board that kind of turned their nose up and it's like, "Oh, that's the offensive line." Well. Your offensive line numbers for spring practice usually aren't that great. Uh, and I figured your offensive line combination was going to be some mix of these five guys. And here it is, day one. Andre Carrick at left tackle. This is with the number one offense. Andre Carrick at left tackle. Junior Angulao at left guard. Jake Majors at center. Hayden Connor at right guard. Christian Jones at right tackle. That's interesting to make the flip with Carrick and Jones. Carrick played some left tackle mm-hmm. last year. Jones has a full year starting at right tackle under his belt. Moved to left tackle, didn't have a great year. Uh, we know those two guys are under the gun regardless. Like They've got to step up and perform because if not, Sark has already talked about publicly a lot plenty that he won't, he's not going to hesitate. Kyle Flood's not going to hesitate to play those young offensive linemen if they're ready. Yeah. But one just, of them is early in, an early enroll league. Yeah, Cole, Cole Hudson's Cole on campus right now. But that's just. I don't know, Rod. Maybe interesting. Just looking at the flip with Carrick going to right tackle and uh, or left tackle, excuse me, and Christian Jones going to right tackle. Uh, maybe an attempt to cross train guys. You I know, you got some film. You got a sample size on them. You know, obviously at each of those other positions. Maybe now an attempt to cross train them and just throw them in the mix. I mean, you just see which one of those guys. If you're just talking about because I think the spring. If I am a if I am Zark, and I'm you know all these position coaches, PK included. I'm trying to get out of the spring one thing pretty much and find out who my best blank guys are. For PK, it's got to be your best 11 on defense. For, the, uh, for man, for honestly, if you start looking at it, for a flood on the offensive line, I'd probably try to say your best. I mean, you really don't have access to a lot of offensive linemen. I mean, Chip, Chip Brown brings that up in this report just because – You've had a lot of attrition there, and you've got some injuries that you've dealt with there, and that's why you brought in this hall. So I would say during the spring, at least try to find your best five offensive linemen this spring out of this group because you know the younger group going to come in, and I think those guys will be talented enough to at least compete for some of those spots. Try to find your best five, and that's not always just my my best tackle or my best right tackle or my best left tackle. It's just like, you know what, I got a guy that can play both 
at a reasonably serviceable level. Right. So maybe he's going to be one of my best. I think that's what this may be about, just finding who are your best five right now from this spring group, mm-hmm. and then you can start over again in terms of the evaluation when those young guys come in. And it's about talking about the, the unit, and I think that's something that maybe isn't appreciated as much. And, you know, it's really integral in basketball because it isn't put the best five basketball players out there. It's put the best five that work well together out yeah. there. And the same thing like you're talking about with the offensive linemen, you know, it may not be the guy's top position at times, but if it makes – everybody else slot into a situation that they're comfortable with or that they exceed in or exactly. in these uh, you know zone run plays we needed to see where our weaknesses are and you can just start to evaluate and self scout a lot easier that way once you're able to be able to find the pieces and which ones actually accessorize or help improve another one's weakness yeah. and stuff and it'll make it easier when those young guys come in now too because they're they, I don't. I mean, obviously, unless they, they are prodigies, you do got a couple of five stars in there: Devon Campbell and Kelvin oh, Banks. Um, but it's less likely that they're going to have the comfort level to move across in different spots and have that flexibility. You're probably going to want to, you know, kind of bring them along slowly, so you don't want to have them at one spot, kind of processing, you know, as, as little information as possible, so they can play at a high level given, you know, the upgrade in the competition. So I think maybe that's a part of it too. It's like, you know, what maybe. You know, if I bring Devon Campbell in and Kelvin Banks in, maybe he's only going to be at, you know, good at right tackle or left tackle or right guard or left guard. So I may have to move some other pieces around. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's overall, it's probably the best thing to try to figure out who your best overall five are. And yes, as Matt pointed out, in terms of them complementing one another, sometimes it's about, yeah, you know what? I got to put you, I know you're a better right, a better left tackle, but I'm going to put you at right tackle because that right tackle, it allows other guys to flourish yeah. and where they normally wouldn't, and you can still perform at a reasonably high level. For or us. you can, and you can pivot your line All or those wherever yeah. your holes are. Or you're are. just manufacturing depth. I think it's a lot of different reasons it could yep. be. I mean, we're just spitballing. No, it's, but that's what was great about a guy like Derek Kerstetter. Oh yeah, right? uh, yeah, no doubt. He, was he better at some positions than others? Of yeah, but I mean. For him to just kind of be able to go in and slide into a position, Elijah Rodriguez was the same he was way. Like I mean, that you, too. to me, uh, up front, Rod, that's that's the thing for me. Can Kyle Flood identify that guy? Do, do, I mean, he might not have one. He may not have one. But can, you know, is, is Hayden Connor that guy that he could play either guard spot or maybe right tackle or, or maybe both tackle spots? I don't know. But can you identify that guy that uh, come hell or high water? As long as that guy's a part of my top six, top seven, whatever that number is. I can make it work. I yeah. can have. We can have. We can sustain an injury, and as long as that guy's healthy, I can make it work. And maybe I. I think identifying that guy has to be part of it. I'll say this too with the offensive line before we move on. Now I mentioned this. I wrote a piece uh, on the site. It's there right now. It's. I, I guess you could consider it evergreen. It's just ten things to follow as we go through spring practice. And with the offensive line, I said, you know, all year last year, all offseason, we were talking about, and there were things for Kyle Flood he was not going to be able to fix. In time Agreed. to start the season, yeah. right? It's unrealistic. The fundamental, basically, it went back to technique and fundamentals. Are going to kind of be the two things that Agreed. you have to just piece that together mm-hmm. and, and baby step it as you went along. Now is the time where, and Rod, we talk, we use this term a lot, right? How can you repurpose guys? Yeah, like you know, how can you, what can you salvage from the roster you inherit? Mm-hmm. That's what Kyle Flood's got to figure out too this spring. All these coaches do, but him especially, like which of these pieces are salvageable? Mm-hmm. Who can I repurpose? In other words. Whose technique and fundamentals, uh, based on my teaching, have come along the furthest that if I just keep plugging away, they're going to be a pretty serviceable player at some point. Yeah. 
identifying those guys. And there may be some guys in this mix that he says, you know what, uh, I'm going to need Devon Campbell and Nato Mayazulu and Kelvin Banks because I can't count on this guy right here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, I, I know that a lot of Longhorn fans want to move on to the next generation. I get it because you got a lot of talent coming in. But you're not going to be able to, in my opinion, you're not going to be able to rebuild like Sark wants to, totally abandoning what you inherited. Yeah. There's no, I'm telling you, it's, your, your, your culture is going to be flawed. It's going to be a ton of flaws if you decide to do it that way. The the best way to do it is you got to find you just I love I love the term you keep throwing out there it's a great term repurpose mm-hmm. as many of those guys as you can and I think for the guys that obviously hearing the guys like Bijan Robinson I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> don't need to repurpose that guy just weaponize that guy right uh, but yeah for the guys that seem like they may be lost causes who are gonna go into that bust rate mm-hmm. who are gonna contribute to that bust rate you don't want that. All right, you would like to try to salvage and repurpose as many of those guys as possible. Possible. I love your Deshaun Jameson, uh, and I think that's where you started your repurposing yeah. campaign. Yeah. But I, I, I love that uh, suggestion too, man. Like, don't let if those young corners end up beating him out, which I guess we're going to get to that too at one point. Don't, don't waste Deshaun Jameson's skills because you can, you can, they can be utilized. Yes, sir. And right now is the practice time where it's worth taking those risks on the new mm-hmm. ideas yeah. and seeing if they work, seeing if it's something, oh, no, maybe that wasn't a good idea, but at least you tried it. It's always worth the look to see where it can open because you don't totally know what agree. door it's going to open or what opportunity it'll give to the next guy that you're letting fill in from where the guy previously was. And if it, even if it's something like you're talking, Jeff, on the O-line, and it's like, you know, this guy going to his rights, great, but, you know, he can't handle a bull rush over here or something like those just find that one specific mm-hmm. tool in a player and you can actually yeah. build the rest of your line and cover those things up with your other players or if you have a young guy that's just a lead at one thing we'll put him in that situation and see if the rest of the veteran guys the ones that you inherit and ones you're repurposing can go and then fill out the rest of the line or the roster two more quick o-line notes uh, logan parr was working as the number two center on tuesday and sawyer gorm welch made that move from d-line to o-line he was also working at center. Okay. So talked about the junior Angulao experiment. It, whether it's Angulao or somebody else, you've got to find a backup center. You can't. That, that's what, again, getting back to what Matt just said, about this is the time where you've got the practice time, you've got the reps to experiment with some things. You need to develop a center because you cannot put yourself in a position where something <laughs> happens to Jake Majors, your own line goes to crap because you haven't thought of that contingency plan or worked on it with having yeah. a backup center. Yeah, ask Charlie about that. And by the mm-hmm. way, when Rod, when, when you talk about you can't just go scorched earth on a culture and just abandon it, we saw that in 2015 where you just kind of move on from guys and just try to yeah. reload it with freshmen. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't always work that way. Yeah, it's just – well, it, um, it can, but I, I think it's full-hearted. I think uh, those guys will come along. You give yourself more time to develop them, to build the fundamentals, to build the foundation, and not just throw them into the fire. Some of those guys will thrive. Some of those guys – they won't thrive. <laughs> Some of those guys actually will. You'll start to see them kind of develop bad habits, and they'll, you know, it's kind of they'll become. I hate this. I hate that this example popped into my mind, but they'll kind of become what BJ Foster was. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like you didn't just get, you didn't give time to build to be. Talk about repurposing, trying to fill a plug, and then you never like, developed. Yeah, them. you never developed him. You just threw him out there, and you mm-hmm. and he, we know he had tons of talent, but you never really developed him and utilized him correctly. You just like, yeah, exactly. You just like feel. Oh yeah, we need it. We we got a guy. He filled the void. We're sinking. Ooh, fix the ship, and it's like, and it's like well, oh no, did you he's do the best that. thing for that young man? I mean, exactly. is, yeah. 
Is that going to help him thrive? Did you put him in the best position to be successful? It's not enough of that, but that goes to your repurpose, which I love. Yeah, and we, that's the hard part about being in that situation because there are all these holes that you're trying to plug, but you also got to know that, well, we got to be able to develop a guy, and you don't want him to just become a plug and never be developed, you know? Exactly. And we, we talk about Tom great Herman. Point. Tom Herman did a good job of that initially year one, year two, and Mac did a really good job of that. Yeah, he did. And you make moves like you move Leonard Davis from D-line to O-line. You you shuffle some guys around, and Rod Aaron then, Humphrey. Then you moving him from middle right linebacker to defensive end, which is where <laughs> he probably should have been all along. Yeah, uh, but you no, know, with your class, with that '99 class, Rod. I mean, there were some of you guys that it was pretty obvious you were going to play early, but you just kind of let the competition take over. Like at some mm-hmm. point, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, Rod B's better than Irvis Hill, so we're gonna go. We're gonna go with Rod no, he B. Did. Uh, he did. Let the tell. That's a great. But he just he built the roster up with so much talent. He had that luxury. Yeah. After those stacked like two classes of the ninety nine and then the two thousand, he was like, I think I got enough talent. I'll just let everything sort itself out. And he was right. He was right about that. Uh, Sark's right. Sark's in a position to start that. And it'll position. happen. First, like his first class, he's right there. And we've seen generations, you know, even when Mac was trying to rebuild and it was like, Yeah, but whenever you had Quandre show up or Jackson Shipley, you're like, Well, these guys are freshmen, they're gonna be playing. Like some players are just like that that if they're that good, they're gonna just rise and you're gonna see it evidently exactly on the right. field. And we've had guys like that come out of nowhere, like a Marcus Johnson or somebody that was like, Oh, we had never heard about the guy and now he's gonna be our top receiver or somebody. So all right, so we're working our way from defense to offense, and look, I'm I'm gonna sound like I'm overreacting here, because I guess that's in the Rod. What do you call it? The sports industrial complex. Mm-hmm. That's just what we do. You have to. Uh, emotional so situation. One of the notable position changes: Jet Bush going from edge to inside linebacker. Mm. And this is also you know, Demarvin Overshone and Jalen Ford were your number one group. David Benda, Devin Richardson, the number two group, and then Jaden Hullaby and Jet Bush with threes. Okay. The move of Jet Bush from edge to inside linebacker, like on the surface, I don't mind it because this just tells me that Justice Finkley, David Abiara, Prince Dorba, DJ Harris, those young guys that, I, that I'm really excited about at edge, this tells me that they like what they've got with those young guys. Yeah. But – Dig a little deeper, and Rod, you just tell me if I'm if I'm off, right? If I'm overreacting or reading too much into it. But to me, moving Jet Bush to inside linebacker and moving Maurice Blackwell away from to safety from inside linebacker, you're getting away from the kind of linebackers that win you games defensively in this conference. Space and pace linebackers like Maurice Blackwell would be like, well, he's 189 pounds, okay. That's what Traven Howard was at TCU. Like Terrell Bernard's with two, two twenty two something. Mm. I mean, it's not like you don't have the two hundred forty pound thumpers anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, ask ask your special assistant. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, ask that special assistant down yeah. the hall about that All position change. Yeah. So, because I agree with you, Jeff. Malcolm Rodriguez was what two hundred five. Yeah. Your, spe- your special assistant was doing that before it was actually in vogue. Like so, going to Rose Bowls and stuff with them. I, I don't, man. I don't know, man. Read I, the I room. Just, Read the ecosystem of the Big Twelve. Like That's, I said, yeah. I could. I'm. I know I'm overreacting to this, but man, I, they've. They just got. They just got. And. When we look at the bodies at inside linebacker, you're not even taking into account Luke Brockermeyer's recovering from the knee injury, and surprise, surprise, he's out for spring practice. Sarkis officially ruled him out, but we've known that. I just there's just too many bodies there. You, you 
I know they want to go into the portal and get somebody. But to me, Rod, I just look at the glut of scholarships there, and I'm like, you've got to figure out what you've got in that room. Mm-hmm. And I know this sounds harsh what I'm about to say, but if you get through the spring and you've got guys that read the tea leaves and decide, I'm not going to play here, I need to go somewhere else, then so be it. You've really got to remake this linebacker room. Yep. Because it's it's just kind of this mishmash of DeMarvin Overshone and then like Jet Bush and you know, Devin Richardson, David Bendis, some guys that maybe body type wise in terms of, you know, high end athleticism might not fit, and then a project in Jaden Hullaby and I just I don't I just I can't gra- I can't grasp what they're trying to do at inside linebacker right now. They no, I totally agree. We talked about this, right? You need a short term plan yes. to address it and a long term plan to address it, right? And you know, we have neither right now. They, right now, exactly. Right now, I'm with you. I don't understand. They seem to be going the other way, right? Yeah. Going to more to an antiquated. Like, am I am I wrong? Like, am I really no? You wrong? are. You are right on the money. Like I said, you. The I think it's because they had no one. The special assistant I thought was you know on the staff to advise them of things like this. Like, whoa, 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 whoa guys, guys study the ecosystem of the Big 12. And this is, remember, we talked about them, right? This is they, this is something they misevaluated when they first came into the Big 12, right? We, we talked about the Big 12 mm-hmm. is a, a running league that is masquerading and cross-dressing as a passing league. And essentially, PK came in here and believed the Big 12 was, oh, it's a, it's a passing league, man. They're going to throw the ball all over the place. It's like, no, 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 no. Have, just study, study the league. You got to study the league. And he didn't stay the league. They did not stay the league very well because I don't think they understood their opponents and the hybrid spread schemes uh, that you talk about all the time, Jeff, and that we've brought up on the show numerous times. So I think, you know, that's why you're not overblowing it because this is another example of them kind of misevaluated conferences going. You had two linebackers drafted uh, in the first round from the Big 12 for the first time in the history of the conference a couple of years ago. Why? Because they were height, they're, they're spread babies. And Jordan yeah, Brooks. Right? Yeah, right? And, and, and yeah. Kenneth Murray. Yeah. yeah. And and right now, by the way, that, oh, God. Both yeah, the Chargers are using him as kind of their hybrid linebacker. I mean, they want, that's what Staley wants him to be, right? He wants him to be a, a hybrid um, uh, position flex, is what they call it. Whatever. Uh, but that's what they want. So, I'm with you. I think you should go more toward positionless football. You did the two best defenses in the Big 12 were essentially built around more positionless football, uh, around hybridism, around those position flex guys. Uh, you just talked about it, right? Malcolm Rodriguez, whether he was you know the quarterback in high school that ended up becoming a safety and then ended up becoming a linebacker. Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie. Oh, Jalen Petrie was a safety that played on linebacker level uh, t- probably more than he played in the box as much as he played as a deep safety a lot of the times. You got guys that essentially, they, they, they're the examples of that multiplicity we've talked about. I, I've said forever, I think it's the, the future of defense and the future of football is probably positionless football. And everybody practices it, whether they know it or not, at a limited level. Some some are all in on it, like my man Shano at San Fran and you know, the Arizona Cardinals are kind of all in up. But some still, they kind of dabble in it. I think that the Big 12, if you look defensively, 
what did Mike Gundy do, right? Stop stop recruiting specific positions in the back mm-hmm. seven like five or six years ago and started recruiting just body types and what I call spread babies and then just kind of let those guys grow and evolve and develop into really good defenders across the board. And that's why Oklahoma State is what they are. Of course, what I understand Jim Knowles is a big part of that too. So I think Texas should be going more toward that model that Baylor had and more that Matt Rule built the foundation for and that Dave Aranda still practices and more toward what Mike Gundy did, and, and instead they're going away from it. And there's a reason those are the two best defenses in the Big 12. Pay attention. Yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> where – and that's why I think that, like, going into this year, because obviously right now it looks like they're looking for answers, maybe trying something to see if it works, but it just tells me that the transfer portal is going to be what they're reliant upon for this season, hopefully, because otherwise, you know, you're going to be in a bad situation, we would guess – so at that point, it's just right now, see if you get something out of nothing because right now you have nothing. But it doesn't look good for Texas, but that's sort of the half-glass full type of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to figure out the linebacker position. It, it's, it's part of the central nervous system of your defense, mm-hmm. yes. and that's why it's so important. And there's an argument to be made that it's more important than ever. The connective be- tissue. Between yeah, because they're, they're tougher to find now. Mm-hmm. Those off-ball linebackers now are becoming almost developmental projects for teams instead of just having them organically, naturally grown at the yeah. high school level. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. No, It's I, not like that anymore. Now you almost had to find a, a safety, like DeMarvion Overshone, convert the linebacker, or you got to find a Malcolm Rodriguez. you got to find a project. And then yeah. it, it's really hard to find them really organically grown. You just got to have a good eye for scouting and, yep. and a good development. You're Texas spot on. has had neither. Texas has had, they have good scouting, but they don't have good development. Yeah. But yeah. you got Gary Patterson, who is that guy? That's exactly. What he, does. he literally has been finding those guys for like 15 years. In college football, like don't that's one of your it. perfect give him a special, buddies. What I say, give him a special project. Right now, he's just over there hanging out, dabbling in this, dabbling in that. That's a mistake. And give him a project and let him complete a task. What is going on? Are you just over there just you just want them around? That's crazy. When you're spot on on the person being able to identify it because it's rare, and it reminds me exactly of what we're seeing in the NBA right now because certain coaches have the ability to find those diamond in the rough type guys. Like if you look at Ty Lue. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, like, you look at, like, the way that the entire roster makeup of the Clippers right now or of uh, the Raptors right now or a guy like P.J. Tucker for Texas fans will relate Mm -hmm. to this. He was a guy that never had a position, but when he was a freshman, he'd be a ball handler. By the time he left Texas, he was the leading rebounder in a center. He had to go overseas for five years until you had the right coaches be able point. to identify the, the type of player. Up with his skill yeah, set. And his skill set is that malleable, <laughs> yeah. positionless guy that you're talking about. Yeah. But what is he? Is He's an instinctive player. He's strong. He has that competitive sickness, the preparation, lunacy, the love of the sport, all the things that you hear like Kobe and talk sure. about. But it's he didn't have the skills of a Kobe, but it was a guy that loved it so much that's been able to get that out of him. And you can look across the NBA with your guys like Robert Covington, the entire Clippers roster is full of them. Mm-hmm. You have all these guys that are the same 6'7 or 6'5, but they're athletic enough and they make up for their physical deficiencies with their ability to make the right play be a step ahead of everybody all the time. And those are the guys that age so well. And that's the thing that the way those guys are found are by the best 
coaches and putting them in those situations. And you have to have that ability to identify that talent. And I think that's really rare in college sports. And you have this such a small window to get these guys and make them into what you need them to be that sometimes it's just the elite athletes rise to the top and you aren't able to necessarily mine for those guys. But those Gundys and the Pattersons and you can build an entire right if you're stuck in this recruiting hotbed it's how TCU and Baylor and Okie State passed up Texas all at the right time it's like oh man this state we got hundreds of D1 players Mac Brown's talking about 400 of them a year that means Texas gets 25 we can go get the rest of the good ones yeah I think it's even simpler than that so I'll, I'll make a basketball analogy real quick, but I'll take it to college basketball. So Texas loses to Purdue the other night. Purdue's got Zach Eady, 7'4". Mm-hmm. Trevion Williams coming off the bench at 6'10". And you look at the flagship message board, go to social media. Chris Beard needs bigs. He needs to recruit bigs. He needs to recruit bigs. Well, you, you might play one team a year like Purdue. Mm-hmm. So why are you just going to go start recruiting bigs? Just because that, that's an overreaction. You lost one game because that's, that's just what, that's what Matt Painter does. He's always done that. He likes having bigs. He knows how to use them. You can't overreact to to one game or one situation. Ed almost lost it for him. Yeah, and and I, where where it applies to this Texas linebacker deal is maybe the staff is looking at it like, okay, we've got to make sure that we've got you know guys that can be tough inside when we make this move to the SEC. That's your long term plan. That's fine. Yeah, like you were talking about, Rod. You got to have a long term plan and a short term plan. And maybe that is the staff's long-term plan. They're trying to figure out maybe to get some more bulk in there, some bigger bodies, whatever. But that, that two problems with that. One, the SEC is becoming it's still a line of scrimmage league, but we're seeing a lot more space and pace mm-hmm. in that league, yep. number one. And number two, y- you implementing your long-term plan cannot come at the expense of your short-term plan, which your short-term plan is you don't know when you're going to that league for sure. You're in the Big 12 for the foreseeable future. This is the league you need to win football games in, and you have to plan as such. Exactly. Don't be messing. Once again, going back to mistakes Charlie Strong made, what did I always say? He did operate like he had the luxury of time. Yeah, like a decade. Yeah, he was operating at, be. I got time. I got time to do this. I'm like, no, you don't have time. So yeah, so I know you. I know you're being told. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know you're being yeah. told. So did you Herman and so did yeah. Strong. They were all told you got time, and trust me, they didn't start five and seven. No, no. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> so not a was, good start. And lose the Kansas at home. So well, yeah, I don't don't operate like you got time. I'll man. say I'll say this too. And the, the off season he didn't. The off season was operated with the yeah. emergency. Yeah. by the way, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Sark Sark had a great off season. Yeah, the oh. best off season in the history of college football for a five and seven team. Yeah. Because he looked like a ghost at that Kansas interview when the Kansas game was happening. He looked like a ghost. Because great blue bloods like Texas should never go 5-7, and number one. Or lose to Kansas. only a great blue blood can have a top five recruiting class after a 5-7 and season, which Texas has done twice. Yes. I mean, USC went 5-7 and and hired Lincoln Riley. So, I mean, they're they're Uh, offseason. That's a good offseason, too. That's a good offseason. They didn't have a top five recruiting class. But, I mean, if you're a blue blood and you go 5-7, and your offseason should be really good because either you're getting a new influx of players or you're getting a new head coach. Right. Yeah, we're both. Yeah, we're both. Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, so to kind of just wrap up this linebacker point, and I wrote this. This goes back to the the ten things I wrote about on the site today to what to follow during spring practice. Um, to me, it all goes back to Demarvin Overshone, and this being his first spring to work at linebacker to really sink his teeth into it. Mm-hmm. Winter conditioning, spring practice, the whole deal. If Demarvin Overshone is an elite, it proves to be an elite linebacker. 
And, and you've got some changing of the guard stuff going on in this conference right now, like where Rodriguez and Bernard, all these guys were talking about moving on. There's room for a new wave of linebackers to kind of be your first, second team, all Big 12 type guys. If the Marvin Overshone is one of those guys, one of the better three to five inside linebackers in this league. He should be. He should be. If he is, it's going to be much easier to figure out that position next to him. Uh, I agree. If he can take it to the next level, that's a good point. He'll finally have a spring to work without and dealing with an injury or position change. Also, we'll finally have a coach, the same coach for back-to-back yeah. years. He's actually had a different coach every year. He's been there, I believe, too, um, coaching him. And so that'll be good, too, some consistency in the message. He's got to take a, a huge step forward. I mean, they're – I'm looking at the defense right now. I'm just visualizing the defense. There aren't a ton of guys who you would point to to say that they are, they have been proven playmakers on that defense. And he's been a proven playmaker, uh, but they needed more consistently out of him. Yes. Absolutely. Um, No notes on the D line, so that's. Yeah, I mean, this is earlier. Pro- yeah. I don't even know if what are, they, what are they in right helmets or shells right now. Yeah, just uh, yeah. jersey top shorts and and, yeah, so uh, and then it, helmets. I mean, mm. D-line are doing much. like a walkthrough. We know, we know. Though I'll, I'll say this, uh, you know, like we talked about, when we talked about that position group. To me, it's all it's about two guys. It's about Byron Murphy and Alfred Collins. Byron Murphy can he continue to demand that the coaches put him on the field through his play? Demand reps. Demand more playing time. Because he is that disruptive, and you were not very disruptive last year. And I think, again, going back to that podcast we had a couple weeks ago when we talked D line, there's a two way street that Pete Kwiatkowski and Alfred Collins have to meet. And PK slash Bo Davis mm-hmm. and Alfred Collins, they got to meet somewhere on that two way street of coaches doing what they can to get the most out of a talent and talent putting themselves in a position where the coaches feel comfortable putting a lot on their plate. Yeah. Those two entities got to meet somewhere on that street, right? Yeah. You know, no, Sark talked about, he essentially hinted that trust was a big part of, you know, why they limited the, a lot of the concepts that they want to introduce with the players. I'm assuming that was both sides of the ball. Yeah. It, well, it had to be because he, he he was talking about trust with the offense. Then the defense was much less trustworthy. Yeah, no. than the offense. Yeah. I was somebody was talking about both. Complimentary at first, and he was like, "No, oh. there's nothing to compliment." Complimentary, yes, please, sir, stop it. So, offense is where we start getting into the injuries. Uh, we know about Luke Brockermeyer, uh, Troy O'Meary. Doesn't sound like he's going to be available this spring. Yeah, he tweaked it, right? Is it last year he tweaked it again? Well, yeah, he did. He tore his ACL, yeah, last fall. I thought he tweaked it, though, when he was trying to come back or whatever. I thought that was a tweak there. No, that was the day he tore it again. Okay, man. Last fall. Damn. Sucks, right? But he's basically on on that same timeline he was on where – but Sark made it sound post-practice like he's not going to be available this spring. Is he on the same timeline if you tore it back-to-back times? I don't know if you're on the same timeline. I mean, I would assume that the timeline would be even more delayed. Extended, probably. You're probably right. You right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you were you were coming you were coming back. You were essentially in re recovery ha- rehab or recovery, and then you tore it again. Well, and that's where, like, so, with the modern, at least we've seen just in the past like decade how much quicker if you are able to do it without any type of you know setbacks. But like we've had a player like James Wiseman in the NBA constantly having the same setbacks. So once yeah. you have a setback, you're going to be a little bit more cautious, hopefully, yeah. just to make sure. So that could extend that timeline a lot. So you got so. Troy O'Meary rehabbing the knee, Jaden Alexis is rehabbing the knee, Brockermeyer's rehabbing a knee. 
Uh, you got Malik Murphy coming off that ankle injury he mm-hmm. suffered late in his senior year. He, he'll get in there at some point, but it's yeah. not a mental no rep for him right now. Him. Uh, and then you've got Jameer Johnson and Juan Davis dealing with some, uh, both of them dealing with a muscle strain okay. right now, which takes us to tight end. Uh, your number one group was Jatavian Sanders and Gunnar Helm. Your number two group, Jaleel mm-hmm. Billingsley and Brayden Lybrock. And I want to nice. take, I want to take this yeah, opportunity like to. Uh, apologize to the Librock family if they listen oh. to the Blitz, <laughs> because in all the discussions we've had about tight end, we have not one damn time mentioned Braden Librock, and probably for good reason because he's been hurt pretty much since he's been here. Just one injury setback after another. Rod, I don't know if you can count on what you can what you can count on getting out of Braden Librock, but this is a guy that was one of the top receiving tight ends in the country in the 2019 recruiting class, which. In recruiting years, that's like dog years. It seems like forever ago. Mm-hmm. But Pre-COVID. if you again, we talk about repurposing guys, salvaging salvaging players to prevent them from dipping into that bust rate and yeah. raising your bust rate. He's he's he fits the bill, man. If you if you get something out of him, if you can just get a couple of games and some, uh, you know, th- I don't know. Three to five serviceable snaps from him a game. I, I'm, I'm not joking. No, I'm with you. That, I mean, it's more than just, just your heavy package. It's yeah. more than what you've got. It's more than what you've yeah. gotten from him to this point. Yeah, to well, make it to where one injury isn't catastrophic. Because yeah. if you have a guy out there for all eighty snaps, he gets hurt. You're done. You know, you start yeah. to fill little holes. It's probably more no. like five to ten. But you guys get the point. No, I'm with you on that. Situational. I, yeah, I'm with you on that. Depending on how much they want to utilize their tight ends, we know Sark. I mean, you know, about 40% of the total snaps are going to be with 12 personnel. He likes to use them. And I, I, I do believe he does want to be more explosive out of 12 personnel. He has to be because he knows that is a, a kind of a flaw. In, we talked about that yeah, a lot. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, that's kind of a flaw. It makes him really predictable, uh, and it makes the offense really stale when they get into 12 and they can't vertically threaten teams down the field. So that's why you got Jaleel Billingsley, we've talked about, not a great blocker, but you look at average depth of target, that's a guy that gets down the field. Jatavian Sanders, freak. Right, freak, and I can't wait to see what Sark's gonna do with a guy like Jatavian Sanders. How creative he can get trying to utilize guys. Because I, like I said, I think you should. He shouldn't just be as a you know a tight end utilized in the kind of traditional fashion. Even with even within Sark's offense, he's a guy you need to try to manipulate matchups with. Because if they're gonna put a just a linebacker on him or just a one of their safeties they can't cover on him, man, he could he could eat him alive because he's got that kind of skill set. He's he kind of reminds me of the tight ends, like the tight ends Miami used to get. Oh, Bubba yeah, Franks, I like that. Bubba I Franks, that. Kellen Winslow Jr., mm-hmm. Greg Olson, yeah, uh, Jeremy Shockey was in that mix. Oh yeah, one of those guys. Just they're big, they're physical. All those guys were built different. From one another, but, great hands. But all of them great hands, great hands, great strong hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you unique athleticism. They like they, they were all built differently. Mm-hmm. They all, but they were all uniquely athletic freakish qualities. Yeah, they, each each one had a freakish quality, but they were all like legit first, second round type talents. Yeah, but that was, that's what Jatavian Sanders. He's he's one of those totally tight ends great. Miami used to. Get. Back then was I when Mario Cristobal was the tight ends coach at Miami. Their head oh, coach now. Nice. I just listened to a Greg Olson interview yesterday. Mm, yeah, oddly, he also said the biggest freak he's ever seen at the tight end position is Kellen Winslow. I remember him. He was a freak. I remember Shockey in training camp with the Giants. He was a freak. Yeah. 
He yeah. was a loon. Oh, I he, he you guys were with the Giants oh, together. He was a he just he just had he had just great football character, not off the field, not on the field as a football player. Oh yeah, he was talking Winslow or Shockey? Okay, because Kellen Winslow would talk about off field stuff. No, no, no. Uh, I, as I was like, I know Shockey. We're, sep- we're separating the two. Yeah, yeah, we're but separating I'm just saying, the two. Like on the field though, he was and just like, tough, physical, and loved loved the physicality. Yeah, like just just craved it. Yep. He reminded me of a guy from Oklahoma, as he was. He mm-hmm. oddly, you know. Yeah, man. So, Jeremy Shockey from Ada? Yeah, Ada, Oklahoma. Yeah, he was just, he was, he had some, tell him, like, give me some nasty. He was all 100%. nasty. You just didn't want to face him. In a, you didn't want him, you didn't want to be him blocking you in a one on one blocking situation because he was just way too enthusiastic <laughs> about it. Yeah. You guys remember watching, it. you guys remember watching the U, the first, the first U document, the U, first U30 for 30 that came out? I remember if it was Kelvin Harris or Alonzo Highsmith, one of those Miami guys from the 80s. He said, mm. man, we'd be in games and people were like, man, even the white dudes on your team are tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and they all, yeah, and they got a little edge to them, too. It's like, <laughs> man. Yeah. You're Aaron Humphreys if you're yeah, Texas. Yeah, that's a great example, too. Uh, but, no, man, I, I think that Jadavion Sanders can be that. He's got, he just got freakish qualities, and hopefully Sark can identify those and then just, like I said, Put them in matchups that are advantageous to him because, like I said, they're gonna put their safety or they gonna put a linebacker on. If they put a linebacker on that guy. If you can get a linebacker matched on him every time, win, take it. Because that's it, a win. Like yeah. and, and the Quinn Ewers, the Hudson Card, whoever the quarterback is, should be like, oh, linebacker him, let's mm-hmm. go. Because <laughs> as a, as athletic as, as as athletic as some of the linebackers you're going to see in this league, okay, I'll throw it to my guy that's six four that has an insane catch radius and can go high point the football. Yeah, that's not. I just it's not a lot of linebackers. Like I said, there aren't. Ter- Terrell Bernard probably maybe he's in that. You talking about the elite linebackers in the Big Twelve? that would have to be the guys to cover him. Other than that, he's not going to see linebackers that would be able to cover him if you put him in space. And Sark, that's one thing Sark could do. Yeah, put him in space. He's done that, and he did that with guys like Billingsley with that mm-hmm. A dot. You know, you can tell. He's not afraid. That's actually something where he wants yep. to weaponize it if he has the players. And I think it was Safarian Jenkins at Washington had a big year under him too. Yep, scheme me up, Scotty. I think this is uh, this is indicative of spring ball. Uh, let's get the wide receiver, uh, and then we'll go running Ooh, back. Yeah, we'll go running back. We'll go back to the secondary, and then we'll finish with quarterback. Uh, wide receiver, the top group. I don't think this should surprise anybody. Xavier Worthy, Jordan Woodington, Isaiah Nayor, your top group. Marcus Washington, Calvante Dixon, Casey Kane, your second group. Rod, we talk about a lot. There's just not – Sark proved in year one uh, what his Alabama offense has showed. And I haven't looked at this going back to Washington, but I would imagine the same. He, even, But he had like, you know, Austin Safarian Jenkins one year gobbled up a bunch of targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're outside of the top probably three to five receivers on the depth chart, there's not going to be a ton of targets for you. So <sighs> – the two guys I'm looking at this spring, man, it's Marcus Washington and Calvante Dixon, man. It's, it's now or never. Which one of those guys steps up? Yeah, because unfortunately, you know, Jay Witt is awesome. All right, we all love Jordan Whittington, uh, but he, the injury history leads you to believe that you need an insurance policy behind him. So in addition to X-Man, who is, you know, that's one of the top five best receivers returning in college football, it would seem. I mean, he's at that kind of level. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of the preseason projections. So you got an elite guy in him, Isaiah Nayor. We've done the research and done the, the deep dives. Mm-hmm. You talked about it, Jeff. That guy went, can win one-on-ones consistently. Yep. Elite. <laughs> yeah, he can win one-on-ones. Yes. I'm, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to call him, like, you know, 
like what a top receiver or an elite or what category I'm ready to put him in yet. But I know watching film, he can beat one on ones consistently. So you need a third option at wide out. Um, I think I think Bijan's going to get. Honestly, I think your your third best wide wide receiver, third best receiver is going to end up being Bijan. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you look at it, but then you need somebody like obviously behind that. And I think, I guess. Kelvante Dixon right now or Marcus Washington. I think Marcus Washington probably I like a little bit more than Kelvante. Marcus Washington came on a little bit at the end of last yeah, year. Yeah, I like him a little bit more. We started to see some Kelvante. flashes of him putting yeah. it together a little bit. I just want to give these Nayor numbers again just because I like him so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, average depth of target, 17.2, uh, 17.7 yards last year. Would have led the Big 12. Marvin Mims was number one in the Big 12 at 17.6 yards per route run, uh, 2.87 that also were led the Big 12. Uh, Marvin Mims was at 2.62. Xavier Worthy at 2.61. Mm-hmm. Also, again, Matt, this just goes back to some of the, the numbers you talked about with contested catches and mm-hmm. just being a true vertical threat. You look at Naor, 82 targets, like 44 catches on 82 targets. It's not that great. He only had three drops on those 82 targets. So it's one of those deals. Either he's making a play or nobody else is getting a hand on it if he's not. Yep. Yep, and if you look at him and you just gave up those season statistics and some people could be like, well, it's a small sample, and, well, there's a smaller sample the year before, but when you combine it, his career A dot is even higher. It's 18.7. His yards per route runs right there, 2.72. And when you look at him also lining up in the slot, it was 26% of the time last year and 20% of the time in year one. So not only was he primarily an outside receiver, but – he was willing and had the ability to move inside if you need to go and get whatever type of mismatch or say you need to manufacture depth if Whittington's injured or something along those lines, you can put him there for a snap or two. And, and yeah. you basically said, Matt, looking at looking at the PFF numbers with his body type, with how they how Wyoming used him, mm-hmm. like a Gabriel Davis comp if you're looking at an NFL yeah, receiver. Yeah, I'll pull up those numbers real quick because I have them in my bag too. But, yeah, his college numbers at UCF were yeah. basically identical. Um, also, one thing I do want to mention before we move on and talk about the receivers, I mentioned those targets. Uh, last year, uh, since PFF start <coughs> – excuse me, hold on. <coughs> uh, PFF started tracking targets. Mm-hmm. In 2016, uh, since then, the 2021 Texas offense had the fewest number of players with 20 plus targets, with six, and the fewest number of uh, the tied for the fewest number of wide receivers with 20 plus targets, with four. Uh, that was 103 for Xavier Worthy, 45 for Joshua Moore, 36 for Jordan Whittington, 30 for Marcus Washington. The last time you had that few guys get 20 plus targets was back in 2018, and what did you have in 18? 120 for Lil' Jordan Humphrey, 103 for Colin Johnson, 65 for Devin DuVernay, and then you talk about a, a bigger gap, 25 for Gerard Hurd. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's one of those stats that it points to a good thing because you know who you are offensively, yes. right? Uh, and that I think the offense, even with Sark, you can say what you want about it. There can be a lot of things you can criticize about it. But it did have, you know, an identity. <laughs> I mean, it, it it had an identity offense. And, and yes, that's what you had in 2018, right, with Bam Bam Sam that year too. So I, I, I like that stat because I think it points to funneling that usage. You know, you just want to get the ball to your playmakers as much as possible. That's what Sark's about. Yep, and the numbers for Gabe Davis, he was the guy that went off for the Bills, but at UCF was on that uh, quote-unquote national championship undefeated ah. team. But yes, yes, just undefeated. But Nayor, <laughs> it was 2.87 yards per outrun. 
Gabe Davis is 2.90. Gabe Davis is 6.2210. Nayor 6.3210. ADOT for Nayor 17.7. It was 16.5 for Gabe Davis. And his yards after catch, 5.8 for Nayor. And Gabe Davis, 4.6. Like conferences, like body, and like skill set. Yeah. There you go. Thank you for that, Matt. That's why you're uh, our lead research analyst here on the show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, Running back, not much to say in the first practice. Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson, Jaden Blue getting in there, and then Jonathan Brooks, who again he's coming off the shoulder surgery he had or the shoulder injury he had in the Kansas game, that's right? And that season-ending shoulder injury, yeah, so that's why he's though. he's working behind Jaden Blue. That is good, man. man when, <laughs> I know it's the first spring practice and he's working his way back from the injury. If you tell me your running back room, Jonathan Brooks is your number five. <laughs> I'd feel pretty damn good about. You don't even need to give me names if Jonathan Brooks is your five. I'm assuming one through four is pretty damn solid. I think Jonathan Brooks would be higher than five. By the end, probably, yeah, because because Keelan Robinson doesn't niche. provide enough. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then Rojo's just well distinct backup. Rojo, Rojo, obviously, Bijan Rojo. But yeah. he has these are just in the modern, reps too, yeah. so. modern two running back role, though. There's sort of like the Bijan role and a Rojo role, how you complement each other. So yeah. I think Brooks is more of the backup to Bijan in that type of role. I agree with That's you how that. I would yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're going to have but a then, go-go set, I hope, and have two of them in the same time. And if Bijan and Jonathan Brooks, so that'd be just wild. Well, he did. Some last year. Anyway, don't get me yep. started on two back sets. Again. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy with Marion. <laughs> with Marion, at least. Just it, move on, please. That's why he hired him, I hope. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm with you. I hope. But you got three intriguing guys, right? Like, we know we know what Bijan and, and Rojo do, right? Those guys are what they are. Yeah. And I say that with the utmost respect for both yeah. of them. But, like, Keelan Robinson, again, Matt, was he your, was he their most explosive player on offense last year or close to it? Uh, on a per-snap basis, it was crazy. Yeah, it was really okay. good. Yeah, they got a T. Listen, this, this is the DJ Monroe deja vu. Yeah, yeah yes. I'm having flashbacks here, all right? But it, they don't teach him how to catch a little bit over you know, spring and out in the offseason then. You know, yeah, he's got a, he's, he's going to be situational. I'm talking about yeah. extremely specifically situational because you Sweet. are going to have more two-back sets. Hopefully, all right, because I think you had two tailback sets last year, around 6%, somewhere around there of your place. You're going to have more of that. That should be closer to 10, 12, maybe even 15% of your plays, depending on how much you want to use those running backs. But I'm with you. It's so it's your deepest and most talented position. You should use more and more of those guys, especially now bringing in Brennan Marion, who can add some more creativity to the overall playbook in terms of utilizing and weaponizing two back sets. Uh, but, yeah, man, if you can't teach Keelan Robinson how to catch a ball down the field, mm-hmm. then it's going to make you extremely predictable when he's in there. Yes, yep. he's explosive. I agree. Ex- extremely explosive. I'm not saying he's not. But like I said, DJ Monroe's explosive, too. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, because he need, you need to just make him be comfortable as a receiver because you could tell at times it was a role that he was just outside. Even, even when they would try to just throw it to him laterally. Exactly. He looked you know, like a – 
fish out of water. So they got to they got to get him a little bit more comfortable catching the football. Can't then just be handing it for off. Sure. Yeah, it was uh, 15 breakaway runs for Bijan out of 195 snaps. That's right at 8% or 7.9. And if you look at Keelan, he had five in 45 snaps, one every nine. So, you know, on a per-touch basis, elite. It's just find him those touches in advantageous situations or not nearly as, you know, obvious of situations. If you can make him yes. any type of neutral threat in the past game, it would add so much more. That's yeah. another thing. Mark that on the spring to-do list. Yeah. For Teshard Choice, Sark, and Brennan Marion. Yeah. All it's like low screen is one screen. Figure out figure yeah. out what pass game concepts he can handle. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Because yards per route and run, Bijan one point three six, Keelan Robinson one point three six. It's just you didn't put him out there often. He had seven receptions on ten targets. Bijan was twenty six of thirty one. And then with that figured out how to use him. So you got three intriguing guys behind Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. We just talked about Keelan Robinson. Uh, Jaden Blue didn't play football all year last year. I haven't played since his junior year of high yeah. school. Was the number one ranked running back prospect in the country at one point. Uh, and then Jonathan Brooks coming off the injury, but looked damn good when he got the ball last year. Yeah. So not much else to say about the running back room. Uh, we've got two position groups left to talk about. Rod, you want to talk secondary and finish with quarterback? You want to go quarterback and finish with secondary? We can go secondary, finish with quarterback. At safety, you got Anthony Cook and Jaron Thompson running with the ones. Like J.D. Coffey, Maurice Blackwell, Keaton Crawford with the twos. And the safeties and the nickels obviously still work, yeah. work as one as one group there. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, Anthony Cook, you know, I, I do think the move for him, depending on if they're actually going to use him at one of the safety positions and not just at nickel, um, that could be big for the secondary. I talk about the central nervous system. It means, you know, Sark, Sark brought up himself, right? So I won't get in trouble for bringing this up because Mac Brown got mad about it. The football IQ of the team was low last year, right? Something that needs to improve. Strategically, you can improve the, the, the IQ of your defense or offense by moving certain players to certain spots where they facilitate communication. And Anthony Cook could be at one of those safety spots. And I, from what I've heard, his football IQ is, is pretty high. Like He's one of those guys that understands the game. And if you can win those guys, they can kind of control traffic for you, move guys around, um, be able to direct the defense, make some of the calls at the secondary. He can be part of the improvement of the central nervous system because that's what you need. Right right now, um, like in terms of just football IQ, you can improve that in the offseason too, but you also can improve it by different players at different positions. And that's why you're talking about how important that was at linebacker because you have that connective communication but from the back end linebacker right. and you exactly. have to have a guy in like – it's probably why you saw a guy like Brockermeyer in there and being able to earn some playing time when he wasn't, you know, even coming in like as a scholarship guy because that's probably a value he was able to connect between the two. And, you, you know, you go and look across the different teams Texas has had and you've always had some of the just sharpest guys on the field being there and able to communicate. Yep. Rod, I know. Okay, let me make this point and then I'll get back to the point I was just fixing to make. At least you have Kitty and Coach. Again, I'm punchy. I'm all over the place. He was that guy. Great point. He was that guy. Can I contradict myself real quick? Go ahead. I do it all the time. With with the knowing safeties and nickels trained together, what if they got their eye on Maurice Blackwell to be in that star position? Basically for him to be their Jalen Petrie. Oh, interesting. Hmm. That could be that could be something. I mean, I, I I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about that. If you're going to move him from linebacker to me, it's got to be worthwhile. There's got to be there's got to be something to it. Uh, he can't just be a backup safety. Hmm. 
Can't. I'm really high on Maurice Blackwell, if you can't tell. Okay. And I know the staff likes him. It's what I heard all, all fall last year, that they really liked him. They really liked him. They really liked him. We never saw him on the field, but I heard that they, they had high hopes for him. So Maybe he's their Jalen Petrie. Can he cover? Maybe that's what moving him to safety is about. Maybe that's what took the year Figuring to out the spring if he can cover. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I was say, if he can cover and he's got this speed to, yeah. you know what I mean, to be able it's to. It's like I just woke up out of a stupor and just had this epiphany. Like, oh, my gosh, what if that's the plan? That could be the plan. I And Matt said it, this is for the time for experimentation. If that is the case, I wholeheartedly agree with it. That's something they should try. I would wonder, yeah, can he cover? Because in the slot, if you can't cover in the Big 12, they're going to eat you alive. Yeah, because yeah. you got to have that back end tied to your yeah. guys up front. And that's just where, like, you can hide things if you have other strengths, but it's really hard to make a guy be hidden if he just doesn't have the foot speed cover. to do it. Your, your, your coverage ability, especially your one-on-one coverage ability, can ma- be masked a little bit at inside linebacker yeah, where you, you yeah. might have, Rod, if you're, playing, if you're playing the bulk of the snaps at inside linebacker, you might have what? Five to seven snaps a game, maybe. Yeah, where, yeah, where you're in one on one coverage, mm-hmm. as opposed to being in the slot where it could be, oh, yeah. hell, half your snaps could I was be. Say, yeah, or more depending. If on, you have a great scheme, depending on, yeah, depend on the scheme you're playing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it just reminded me when we we're talking about linebackers in coverage because Shano has the best linebacker watching Warner and what he can do and what he can cover just like in his area. But it's like if you run more zone than anything, you can have a guy that doesn't necessarily have foot speed but can be so elite at something. It's like across sports they do it. Like James Harden's a bad one-on-one defender. He's a great post defender, so you just have him down there and being Mm -hmm. able to do certain things. And, like, you can make a linebacker become a huge weapon and he doesn't even have to leave his vicinity. You know what? This is interesting. Okay, so let's say you're right because it's kind of sticking with Matt's Matt's going – if you are going to move uh, Blackwell, Maurice Blackwell, to that star position, right? And let's say the theory is what Matt's talking about—that you know what, he's just good at so many other things. He's yeah. great in the box. He's great when we blitz him. He's great in zone coverage, mm-hmm. right? All these different things. He's a great tackler. All these different things. He—if uh, that is the case, then maybe the move for Anthony, for Anthony Cook is at safety, and he's going to be like the old Dwayne Aquino safeties, yeah. where they were in coverage a lot. Like your safety yeah. weren't so much like the guys rotating in and out of the box necessarily in your single high looks or your two high looks. It was really about man, yeah, we had a single high guy, but that other safety who whether it was Ahmad Brooks or Nathan Vasher, they were in coverage. A lot they of responsibility down there. The guy in the slot a lot of times because you know we had that luxury because our safeties could cover. Anthony Cook can cover. Yeah, you know and that. That, and maybe it, that's the plan. Man, you make you can build a good defense it's, doing that. It's just they, you had to have the eleven yeah. guys connected on that. Because t- when they got in trouble a lot last year, and I've brought this up, you know, we don't have time to get into the numbers, but we will later. Is the rotations were terrible? Oh yeah, passing Their safety off rotations were so bad. Whether they were rotating play side or rotating backside, they just would rotate themselves, and their leverage was bad, and the angles were bad, and they would essentially rotate themselves out of the play. And even when they would rotate to the safety to the deep. Uh, deep third, I'd say the middle third, I should say, he wasn't great at really being a middle field safety to get himself in a position to play either sideline and didn't have great range. Maybe this is a way of being able to rectify that and say, now we're not going to rotate so much. We're going to already have our guy in the box. 
it's our it's our nickel. And and I mean, it can, I think it's going to be our the linebacker, and our safety's going to be our coverage guy. I don't know. It's interesting. It, it can become a more complicated thing, but if you have the right personnel and you have trust within the players yeah. that everybody understands the situation and are all reading the same thing, well, it you can, can make you really finish, good. You still can rotate, but then also I have the luxury of being able to go. All right, my nickel's going to be the coverage guy, or you know what? Take it. My nickel can be my you know my crash defender oh, yeah, and, and stay in the box, and my safety can come down and rotate. So it gives you more ways more to deceive. The deep, the offense. Oh yeah, the quarterback. It's going to be impossible yeah. to read because it's, you're going to be sitting there they, thinking. Texas was easy to read last year because you oftentimes watch things like Baylor. It seems like they had an automatic check to be able to run exactly to the opposite side where the safety was rotating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the key, like, yeah. It would seem like I was like, what the <laughs> hell? It seems like it's like a merry-go-round. They would really <laughs> rotate the safety right, and then they would just run the wide zones to the other side. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. It was beautiful the way it worked out. Like, yeah. It was like a practice spinning round. a wheel. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, continue. Sorry. Uh, no. So in wrapping it up, so your your cornerback depth: Deshaun Jameson and Ryan Watts were the ones. Terrence Brooks and Jalen Gilbo were the twos. Wonder where's Jade Barron? He's the star position. He's the nickel. Oh, okay. So Jade Barron being the, the star yeah, in the safety it. room. Rod, the old line and the and the secondary to me are, are, are similar to this. Uh, there's more. It's more of a cerebral game for those two positions, and I think a lot of people probably think. And those are two positions where you don't realize how bad of a job as a staff you did manufacturing depth until you need it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. <laughs> yep. When you start throwing all these guys out there, and you're like, so nobody knows what they were really doing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I, I think they hit the panic button last year and realized they all the answers that they threw at the multiple complex problems that they inherited and that they had to deal with. They didn't. They didn't hit. None of the answers actually resolved the problems. Yeah. Yeah. So they're throwing a lot of uh, Keaton Crawford's working with the safeties. Uh, Jade Barron's in that group, which we talked about him. I like him a ton. I just I just want him on the field. I don't care where it is. Makes plays. Safety, nickel, corner, whatever. Yeah, he makes plays. So just something to keep an eye on. But well, I want to monitor this Maurice Blackwell deal and see where it goes. I like uh, that. Uh, with Malik Murphy out, your quarterback rotation on day one, we'll wrap with this. Hudson Card with the ones. Uh, Quinn Ewers with the twos. Ben Ballard with the threes, and then Charles Wright and Cole Lord with Malik Murphy out. Uh, again, it's jersey tops, it's shorts, it's helmets, no contact, but Rod, is, this shouldn't shock anybody that Hudson Card got the first snap no. of the first spring practice with the ones. No, 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 should be expected. Even I think Quinn Ewers would have expected that. He has the been honorary. with the team yeah, longer. He's got... Um, you know the, the most. I guess the most tenured of those quarterbacks knows the playbook more. He's probably the guy that led most of the offseason workouts. I'm assuming because you know he knows how the coaches want things laid out. He knows you know th- obviously I'm sure the relationships are working out for Quinn Ewers as well. Um, but he's already have some previous relationships with the players. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm sure that he's got what's considered a bit of a head start on Quinn Ewers. This is going to be an interesting competition, though. I, I, I think it's going to end up. I think it's going to end up being said and done, and the competition will be called, in my opinion, probably either early training camp or before spring is over. I do. Um, odds that both of those quarterbacks are with the program when the regular season starts. Oh, that's good. I'm. Well, a, I'm. Wayne's already transferred, so at least he'll be there. When so is burned his one-time transfer? Oh, no, he's not going anywhere. I'm going to say there's a 40% chance, maybe 40. That's a high. I'm going high as 40. Which is why 
we talk the card Ewers battle is it's one of the better quarterback battles in the country. It is honestly. But how quick can you get Malik Murphy back in between Murphy, Ballard, Charles Wright, Cole Lord, one of those four guys probably end up being your backup quarterback. I agree with you. You you need to be prepared. Yes. That one of those four guys will be your backup quarterback. Yep. Okay. Unless maybe Yep. I'm with you. I don't know anybody that goes into the portal or anybody any quarterback that's in the portal with their eyes on being a backup quarterback. So that's not really an option. And I imagine the ones that are probably maybe you don't need to be taking a scholarship spot for, especially as tight as numbers are. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's probably going to be one of those four guys. But hopefully, hopefully Hudson Card has reason to stick around and this thing plays out into the fall. Like we said, in the Big 12 era of the program, 2002 with Chris Sims, 2005 with Vince Young, 2008 with Colt McCoy, and 2019 with Sam Ellinger. It's the only years in the Big 12 era of the program that Texas has gone wire to wire without needing the backup quarterback. Yeah, you will play. I mean, that's just it just depends on, you know, in what situation you're throwing out there. Last year was because it went back and forth. Sip, snap, sip, snap. Couldn't figure out who the quarterback was. You know, I think Sark wants quarterback stability. So yeah. that's why I think you may get a different uh, process than you got last year when it came to the quarterback competition. He, he needs to find a franchise guy. I think he wants, and I think he wants yeah. everybody to know it. And I think as soon as he gets that confirmation, affirmation, whatever, I think as soon as he gets it, he's going to roll with it. And, it's, and, he's and, gonna, and look, yeah. if it's Hudson Card, that just means Quinn's not ready yet. Yeah, if it's Hudson Card, I'll be blown away, frankly. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I, I, no, I would be. I, I'll be flabbergasted. And as a black man, I don't use that word a lot. I would be. I bet you've never used that in your actual vocabulary. Yeah, never. Only on sports shows usually. But if I would be, flabbergasted. it's a, it's a good descriptive word. Yeah. Bam, bamboozled. Yeah, I would. I agree fully. I would be I'm, I'm shocked. Glad, I'm glad that Hudson Card is making the competition. That's good. All right, that's a good little spot to stop wrapping up the first day of spring practice. We'll be back next week to talk about more. Spring practice as the tidbits roll in from the practice field. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com for matt for rod for everybody at the austin radio network and the horn 1049 1019 am 1260 streaming on the horn app and at hornfm.com where you can hear rod b each and every weekday with mike hards on ball don't lie from three to seven shameless plug you can also get myself and craig way each and every weekday on light the tower from 10 to noon and thanks to matt you can get all of our archives our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, 
highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.